Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Once again, good evening, and I really am. I'm grateful that you're all here tonight. We're simply tonight continuing in our series that we've entitled Multiply, and we've been studying this for several weeks now. What we've been doing is looking at the first church, the church in the book of Acts, and we've just been kind of sitting on that and looking at what this first church, like what did this first church put emphasis on? What did they value? What did they do during the week? What was important to them The key verse that we're kind of basing all of this off of is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I just want to read it to you one more time. I've been reading it the the, the week number two, I believe we looked at it, but it says this, and they, that's being the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So um, those four things, those are the four things that they put importance on, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and it says the prayer. So last week we looked at the apostles' teaching, that's the Word of God, that's what we kind of set on last week, and two weeks before that we all kind of looked at this fellowship and breaking of the bread, we talked about that. So tonight what I want us to do as, as a congregation, as a church, is look at the prayers. We all know that prayer is important. None of us would say that it's not, but um, I want to look at this first church and, and see how they really prayed and what they really did in times of crisis. My desire is that we would be a church, a people that, that pray, that it wouldn't be a, a second response or a third response, that it would be something of first priority in our hearts and, and what we do. And so we're going to do this by looking at one single prayer in the book of Acts. Tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. So I'd like to invite all of you to get out your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you may have, Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and we're going to go, I think, about 10 verses, but if you just find Acts 4, 23, that's, that's, that's where we're going to be at tonight. So before we actually get to this prayer, it's going to be necessary for us to do some background work, and so I kind of want to set up the context, and I want us to kind of study what's going on. It's going to kind of bring this prayer to light so we can appreciate it more. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, here's what we're told. You don't have to follow along with me in your Bibles. It's, it, I'm going to have it up here on, on the overhead. But, but here's what it says. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. And that's the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. So now we're not told exactly why they're going to the temple, but it does say it's the hour of prayer. So I don't think it's... Uh, too hard to imagine. It's reasonable that they were going there to pray. Now, before they got there to pray, someone had laid a man who had been crippled for 40 years. So before Peter and John get to the temple to pray, they've got to cross paths with this crippled man begging 
for money. And I don't know what went through their mind, um, but I guarantee you this, you've probably been in a similar, similar, similar situation like, 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 like you're going to a stoplight or something, and there's maybe a man there with a sign that says homeless need money. Now, I don't know how you react. I don't know what you do, but I'm going to confess. Oftentimes in my heart, I'm thinking, don't make eye contact, okay? Uh, I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying that's the right response, but you're like, okay, I don't want to look, I don't want to look, because the ideal is if you look at them, then you're going to have to respond in some way. But here's what Peter does in verse 6. Well, first Peter says this. He does say this is what's cool. He says, look at me, look at us. He, he grabs this man's attention, verse 6. But Peter said, here's what he said to this man, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk, verse 7. And he, that is Peter, took him by the right hand and raised him up. And look at this, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, I don't know how you and I would respond, but this guy goes crazy. He's like amazing. He's making a big commotion. He's jumping up and down. I think that's a proper response. But you've got to understand where he's at. It's the hour of prayer at the temple, so there's a huge crowd. And this huge crowd hears this commotion going on, and they all go forward. You see, all these people going to the temple to pray, they were aware of this man. They'd seen him every single day, and now they see him jumping up and down. Peter sees all these people coming, and Peter, I guess, thinks this. You know what I'm going to do? Got all these people gathered around me, so I'm going to preach the person and works of Jesus Christ. It's tremendous. So so check it out, church. You got a, a crippled man now jumping up and down. You got several thousand people now hearing the gospel, and you think it's a fantastic story, but you get to chapter 4, verse 1. Check this out. And as they, that's Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up to them. Check it out. It says, greatly Annoyed. You can underline that. They weren't just a little bit annoyed. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching and the people, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. These guys are not happy. And it's really odd to me because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what good deed has annoyed you the most, right? Like, like there's a guy here who's been healed but you get greatly annoyed. Here's what I would like to say, and I think it's implicit here. When you tell someone about Jesus Christ or multiple people about Jesus Christ, you can expect that somebody will get annoyed. I've never seen it gone any other way, so I'd love to tell people who, who proclaim Jesus, and that's all of us here if you're a believer, do not be surprised that while you're proclaiming Jesus that someone gets annoyed. But look at verse 3. It says, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Okay, so clearly, yeah, these guys were greatly annoyed, annoyed so much that they arrested them. Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word 
believed, that is, God saved them, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I could preach on this a long time. That's not the purpose of this message, but I do want you to understand this, because I just told you, you're going to be preaching Jesus. I told you, some people are going to get annoyed, but guess what? Some people are going to get saved. I'm telling you, every time I've ever encountered people, shared the gospel, someone gets mad, somebody gets saved. Right here it says 5,000. So you got Peter and John, back to the story. They're under the tyranny of the Sanhedrin. They're put in jail. In the morning they call Peter and John out. They say, hey, can you explain to us what you're doing? Peter, once again, just looking for a reason. He goes, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what we're doing. And then he preached the gospel to them, right? He's just looking for an excuse. You know somebody like, like that? I've run into people like that, and I love them. Like, like you know it. You know, you've been, some of you have been there. So you're like, it's summertime, and you're like, man, that's a beautiful tree. And then they'll say something like that. It is. Hey, do you know who made that tree? You're like, yeah, dude, I know, I know. God made that tree. And then, you know you're a sinner? Yeah, dude, I know. But you know, that's what Peter's doing. He's looking for any opportunity to tell people about Jesus, the Sanhedrin, send them out of the room. They discuss it. They said, hey, I don't think we can do anything right now because the man was healed. 5,000 plus people saw it. They called them back into the room and the Sanhedrin tell them this. They say, Peter, John, here's the deal. Don't preach Jesus anymore. Don't do it. Okay. That's a problem. That's going to be the catalyst for our prayer. That's the crisis. Because you see, in I think Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had said to them, commanded them, Peter and John, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you got these jokers sitting there saying, hey, you can't do it. You can't do it. So that is a real crisis and the Sanhedrin say, okay, you are free to go. Peter and John, in the midst of this crisis, the first thing the text says they do is they go to a friend's house, our friend's house. That's where we're going to pick up. We are going to pick up. We're going to see, I'm going to read this. We're going to do it together. We're going to see what they do in the midst of a very serious crisis. Jesus says, proclaim the word of God everywhere you go. And you got these jokers saying, don't do it. And these guys got some real power. Let's read it. Verse 23. When they released them, when they were released, that's from prison, they went to their friends, that's going to be the church, and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. They get the church together. They say, hey, listen, they told us to stop preaching Jesus. Verse 24. And when they heard it, that's the story, they lifted their voices together to God and said, here's the prayer. Here's the prayer. Together they say this prayer. Check it out. We're going to look at it. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through the mouth of our father, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the apostles plot in vain and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you 
anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Church, you can underline that. We're going to come back to it. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and when they had prayed, check it out, come on, the place in which they were gathered together together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a prayer. That is a prayer. It's a tremendous prayer, and I'm telling you, it's like really few prayers I've ever heard. And I've, I've heard a lot of different prayers in my life. I've heard prayers in different languages. I've heard prayers in different situations. I've heard a man pray for protection because his family was trying to kill him because he became a Christian. I've heard men and women pray in very desperate situations. I've heard people pray who did not have enough food to eat. I have heard a lot of prayers. But I am telling you the boldness at which these early Christians praise is staggering to me. And it demands that we take note. And I want us to take note. There's three things that we need to see from this prayer. Three things from this prayer of the early church that took place about 2,000 years ago. We're going to pull some truths out, and I hope we can apply them to our lives. The first thing I want us to see, Silverdale, Saturday night, is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. So this shouldn't be lost on you and I. These guys are in what I would say is a real crisis. Now I could ask you, I don't want you to raise hands, but I could ask you, who, who, who's in a crisis right now? And I'm sure many, you might raise your hand. I know this for sure. Even if you are not in a crisis right now, there's not a man or woman in this room right now who will not be in a crisis at some time. And we're going to find ourselves in a similar situation, but these guys are in a real crisis. You see, the Sanhedrin, those men who had told them not to preach Jesus were powerful people. And they had said, do not preach Jesus at all. Month, six weeks earlier, eight weeks earlier, earlier they had crucified Jesus. They could kill you. They could take your job away. They could punish your family. These guys have power, and they're sitting there, and they're saying to the church, you guys stop preaching Jesus. Don't do it. And I don't know what you do in crisis, and I don't know what others do in crisis, but these guys, when there is a crisis, the first thing they did was hit the knee immediately. They lift their voices to God. In verse 24, it says, And when they heard it, that's the whole church, they lifted their voices together to God. Prayer was like breathing to them. You got a problem, you pray. First priority. You need God, you pray. You need wisdom, you pray. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to debate it. You don't have to plan it. You just do it. It was an immediate response to a crisis. They prayed. 
They lifted their voices. And you can tell when you're reading that prayer that these guys did not just know God theoretically, but they knew God. They had a relationship with God. They're aware of God and his promises. They know him. Why? Because they've been walking with him. They have history with him. They've been in situations that were dire before, and they know that he is good, and he has rescued them. And so when they come to this crisis, they hit their knees and pray to their God because they know their God is good. Prayer was the air that they breathed. And church, what I also want us to notice is it says they lifted their voices together. Like, listen, I get it, guys. We, we should be praying individually. We should. But there's something about the corporate prayer of God's people. They had unity, they had a bond, and they were friends. And I'm telling you straight up, when I'm studying this passage, a hymn came to my head. I kept thinking about this hymn. I told Taylor about it. It's, 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 have you heard that, um, that hymn? It's, some of you may not, but um, What a Friend You Have in Jesus... Oh my goodness, man. I remember, this was that first church, man. They, were, they didn't know this hymn, but you get the feeling. Because, man, I remember when I was in high school, um, man, I, I, I kind of started going to this mission church. It was called Talty Baptist Mission. And we met in a double-wide trailer. And so it would have been about this size, this one row right here. On a, oh, man, actually about half you guys. And it was in a cotton field. And I remember singing hymns, and I just got part of it. I'm going to sing. I'm about to sing. Some of you can hold your, your ears if you want to. Um, man, I've been singing this all week. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. What do we do, church? Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what I'm talking about. That's what these guys did. They had a trouble. They had discouragement. They hit their knees. Prayer was a priority. So what I've been asking myself, and I want to ask all of you, is prayer a priority in your life? Hey, I know things are difficult. I know you struggle with a lot of things. There's no doubt about that. But we want to be like the first church. We want to take it to the Lord in prayer. Second thing I want you to see in this tremendous prayer is the structure of the prayer. I want us to see the structure of the prayer. Now, see, I love this prayer for many reasons, but one of my favorite things about this prayer is it is what I have already called when I refer to as a crisis prayer. And you know what a crisis prayer is, right? It's a prayer you pray when you're in crisis, like you don't premeditate it. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with premeditated prayer. It's cool. But when you get in a crisis and you're praying in a crisis, you don't use Christian words necessarily. I'm telling you straight up, church, I have seen and heard men pray prayers when they're in a crisis, and they use some really colorful words. And I've been sitting there thinking, oh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that, you can say that in a prayer, man. That's, that's like crazy. That's crazy. Just settle down. But that's what I love about a crisis prayer. If you hear someone pray a crisis prayer, you're going to learn a lot about them. You will. Because all the, 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 the flowerly, flowerly, flowerly words 
that we, t- I know, that we tend to throw in there that goes out the window. I, I've prayed many crisis prayers. I'm sure many of you have as well. Um, one time, I prayed a prayer when I really thought my death was imminent. And I've shared this with you before, some of you, and some of you may say, Travis, you've shared, I've heard it twice in the last five years, whatever, but it left a mark on me, so I'm going to share it again. I'm sitting there, and we're in Africa, and uh, I'm out in the bush kind of by myself, and my wife and some volunteers are kind of far away in our truck, and, 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 and I run into an elephant right in front of me. And um, it's in the very area, it was in Makumi, where an elephant had recently just killed somebody. And I am exceedingly aware that it is possible that I might die right then. And I'm telling you right now, I didn't cry out, no Abba, Father, and stuff like that, man. It was like, it, and you should when you're praying, I'm not saying that. But in my crisis prayer, it was altogether different. First, first thing I did... Hey, and by the way, if this is you, don't do this because I've discovered it's not helpful. Um, I thought maybe I'd outrun an elephant. <laughs> you can't do it, okay? You can't. I know some of you guys are fast and stuff. You ain't that fast, man. Those elephants. Take off running. Now, this ain't going to work. So I get behind a bush, and I just like this, and I pray. And I'm telling you, it was from the gut, man. And it was, man, God save me in a way I've never said it before in my heart. I'm serious. I'm like, God, I know this sounds lame to you right now, but I'm like, God, I don't want to die, right? I know that's obvious. I don't want to die. But when you're facing imminent death, you cry out in a whole new way. And I pray and I gather my senses. And and I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I'm not going to look at this elephant, okay? So he's like right here, and my head's like this, and I'm behind this little bush, and I remember looking at this little bitty leaf, and I'm just like, okay, okay, what am I going to do? And I just, without looking up, I yell really loud, like loud, loud. And um, my wife heard me. She didn't know what was going on. She jumps in the car. We have a big truck and uh, four-wheel drive, and, and, and she runs. She sees the elephant. She runs between me and the elephant. I get back, and I jump in the car. The Lord saved me. But I'm going to tell you right now, from that experience and from other crisis experiences, when you're in crisis, prayer is a whole nother level. It really is. It really is. And that's these guys. That's these guys. And I'm going to show this to you. They, do some, they, they use some really unique language, okay? I want us to look at kind of the structure. The first thing I want you to see that they did, it's actually the first thing that I did when I'm sitting there behind not wanting to die, they address God as Lord, all right? They address God as Lord. Here's what they say. This is a crisis. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, what I want you to do is underline that word sovereign Lord. You cannot see this in the English, but in the Greek... They use a very odd word. It's a word that is used very seldom in Scripture. They use the word despotes, so we get the word despot. It's only used a few times in the Bible, and it means absolute ruler. It means absolute ruler. People in Jerusalem would have associated that word with a slave owner. So they they don't go up and just say, Abba, 
Father, Heavenly Father. They don't use some big title. They drop to their knees and they use this really odd, unique word. They say absolute ruler of all things in every place, master of the universe. We are in a bad place. That's what they do. Same thing, I'm sitting there with that elephant. I'm like, God, save me. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Once again, I would say, you've probably been in a similar situation, maybe not with an elephant, but you've been in some bad places. You got this crisis. You don't know words. You don't have things to say, and you just cry out to your God. And that's what they needed. They needed to know that their God was bigger than the Sanhedrin. They wanted to know and affirm that their God was bigger than the Roman Empire. God, you told us to go. God, you gave us the power to proclaim. And now these fools are sitting there saying, don't do it. So they cry out, God of the universe, master, all-powerful Lord, help us out. Second thing they do from addressing the Lord in a very unique way, they quote scripture. That's the next thing you see them doing. They're going to quote second Psalms. And I would encourage you, I think quoting scripture in Prayer is great, but here's the problem. Here's the problem, church. You gotta know scripture if you're gonna quote scripture, right? And that goes back to last week. You gotta be in the word of God. We know these guys were in the word of God, so they start quoting scripture. Here's what they say. Psalms number two, verse 25. By the way, they use it appropriately. And that's, we, we, come on, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna get on this, but uh, we do have a tendency to misquote scripture in prayer And that's because we don't really know what we're saying. We're just repeating something we saw on a coffee mug. You know it's true. You know it's true. I'm sitting there praying with someone. They start quoting something, and I'm like, "Uh, I don't think that means what you think it means. Still love you. But anyway, these guys knew what it meant. Look, verse 25, Psalms 2. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So you see in Psalms 2, all the people are coming together to be against God and his anointed. And these guys are sitting there and saying, that's exactly what's going on right here. Everybody's coming against us. Like like some of these guys don't even like each other, but both of them don't like us. And it appears to me that they're starting to become friends in their united effort to not like us. Like, what is this about? I don't get it. I'll tell you once again, I've been here. I'm sure you've been there. Some of you have been there. Like, you're telling someone lovingly about Jesus, and then all of a sudden, some people get really upset, like, like, like abnormally upset. Like, like, I can be lovingly talking about Jesus, and someone gets angry at me as though I had kicked their dog. And you're like, dude. And that's the deal, man. That's the the kicker because I've been in places and you're preaching and you're teaching and you're sharing, even this city, about Jesus. People get upset, but I tell you what, if I was talking about Buddhism, Hinduism, any other kind of ism, ain't nobody getting upset. They'd probably buy me coffee. But as soon as you know, know this, church, as soon as you mention the name Jesus, things get funky. 
They get funky, man. You can feel the tension in the air. It's, it's like air goes out of the room. It's like, how you doing? Everything's good. Jesus. Just got weird, man. Just got weird. Why? Because you just stepped in the enemy's place, uh, um, territory. Like He's all good. Hey, talk about Hinduism all you want to. Have fun. Chat it up. You talk about Jesus, it's going to sober the room up supernaturally. And I don't want to get into all of that. That's what we're talking about. But the point is, that's what's going on here. Like those guys, those guys, those guys are not upset that a man was healed. Those guys are upset because Jesus is being preached. That's what's going on. So they quote scripture. They quote scripture. Next, they seek God's will. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand, that's God's hand, and your plan has predestined to take place. In other words, God, your will be done. Every time I pray, almost every time I pray, my alone time with God, when I'm praying, I always ask for God's will to be done. Because here's the deal. I have a tendency to put my will into everything. Like, straight up, man, if I were these guys, I would have been saying, this is my prayer, man. I've actually played these similar prayers. I've been saying, hey, God, aren't you the God of lightning? Can't you just smite those guys? Can't you go Old Testament on them? I know you have the ability, right? John and, 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 and James, what, the sons of thunder, there's actually a scripture where they ask God to call fire down on Jesus call fire down on people, and Jesus is like, that's not my plan. That's not what I'm doing here. And I have, man, I get really fired up sometimes when I hear people twisting the gospel in the world, but in our city specifically, and I've prayed this, guys. I've prayed this. You don't have to pray this. I'm not saying you should pray this, but I'm like, God, and I'll mention the guy's name, and I'll say, could you please just lovingly take his voice away? That's my prayer, man. But then I say, I do, I say, God, but not my will, your will. That's what I say. Because you, you, nobody, nobody wants Travis's will going down. Because I'm telling you, it will never be good. It won't. We want God's will. And these guys are in a very bad situation. And they're like, hey, God, we would like all these things to happen. We would like all this to go this way. But you know what, God? We want your will. We want your will. All right? So they address him as God and Lord and ruler and king. Then they quote scripture, and then they say, your will be done. Now, once again, I'm not saying you can't make some suggestions. You know, God, I'm not, here's some, here's how, God, if I was you, I might do this, but I don't know, you know. But um, once again, your will be done. Final thing I want us to see, church. These guys ask for something that staggers my mind. I want you to see the plea of this prayer. This is where it gets crazy to me. Because this is not what I would have done. Don't, did you, do you do that? You read the Bible and you're like, huh, I wouldn't have done that. Like, like I'd like to think I would have done that. I remember I, you know, reading the Old Testament back in the day. And I, and I still read the Old Testament. But when I was younger, I'm like, man, those Israelites... They're, they're just, they're just the, the goofiest people ever. And then I got mature, and I'm like, hey, those people are me, because I do all that stuff. Verse 29, here's the request. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with, look, all boldness. What? What? Seriously, you do this. You go back. You put yourself in that situation. Try to imagine it and think about what your prayer would be. I thought about what my prayer would be. I know what my prayer would be. My prayer, I might have said something like that, depending on if I was wanting to sound cool around you guys. But if I, I'd be saying, God, can you make me some really strong doors for my house and some really strong locks? And can you protect my family? That's, I would have been praying for safety. If there was ever a time to pray a safe, self-serving prayer, now this would be the time. Because Jerusalem was a mess. Two months ago, they had killed Jesus. And I'll tell you, I put myself in that situation, and I probably would have said, hey, guys, look, it's hairy out there. It's crazy. Let's go back to our homes for a short time. Let's let it die down. Let's regroup, and then let's come back. These guys had families. They had jobs. They had children. Would you hold it against them if they said, you know what? They're killing people out there. Let's go home for just a month. Let it die down and come back. Would you blame them? Because I'm telling you, church, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't because I would have been leading the charge. I'm going home, guys. Going home. It's rough out there. It's really rough. But not these guys. They don't even ask for safety at all. If we get the safety... We want to pray boldly. We want to pray something that nobody would expect. We're not going to pray a safe prayer. We're going to pray for boldness. We're going to pray that you empower us to do the very thing you've asked us to do. John Wesley, I've got to share this quote with you. He once said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I read that, and I read my response to that situation. I mean, I think about it, and I know that one of the main problems that the church in the West suffers today is we fear men more than we fear sin. You know what? The majority of us, and I'm in this group and I'm trying to get out of it, but the majority of us, what we desire most is we want to be liked. We want people to like us. If I tell my friends about Jesus, they may not like me. If I tell my neighbor about Jesus, they may not like me. And I'll tell you what, they may not. They may not. But many of us care more about being liked by our friends and our neighbors than we do care about telling them about Jesus. We would rather not offend men and offend God. That's what we would do. And now listen, I'm not advocating, church, to, being a, to be a jerk for Jesus. We don't want to be jerks for Jesus, all right? That's not the goal here. I've met many jerks for Jesus. I love them. I don't hang out with them, all right? But um, we don't want to be jerks for Jesus. But what we've got to understand and what you've got to know and what I've got to know, the gospel is offensive. The scripture says it offends, does. 
It's offensive. We hear it with natural ears and it offends us. We need to know that. That's why people get angry. That's why I can say this right now. Many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I said, how many of you were offended the first time you had heard the gospel, I bet you half of you would raise your hand. I bet you would. Because you don't, you're like, no, this is ridiculous. It is, it's just blah, 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 blah. And then God reaches down and saves you, and you're like, amen, king, thank you. It's offensive. I say preach it any way. So the question before us and me and you is this. Do we pray safe prayers or do we pray bold prayers? If I was to be in your room when you were praying and you're praying out loud and I heard your prayer, would I listen to that prayer and say, well, that's a crazy prayer. That's, that ain't ever going to happen. That's just way too bold. I hope so, guys. I hope that's your prayers. I hope if people would hear your prayers out loud, they'd say, man, that's a bold prayer. I remember, I guess it was five years ago. We started a, a six years ago. I don't know. It don't even matter. A long time ago. We started a Thursday night service, and we called it The Pit. And um, I remember on day one or day two, we started praying. We met in the chapel. The chapel's the other side of the, the, the campus here. And, and we started praying, you know, um, one day we'd like to meet in the sanctuary. That was a bold prayer, and I'm quite certain it made some people uncomfortable. But guess what? Where are we at tonight? Where are we at tonight? Amen. Amen. Don't be afraid to pray bold prayers. I'm going to tell you some more things I pray about. When I say this, some of you are going to sit there and say, that's a dumb prayer. You may not think that, but you're like, yeah, whatever, Travis. Some of you are going to say, that's an awesome prayer. It doesn't matter. I'm praying anyway. I pray every week, multiple times, that the Lord would bring a thousand people here on Saturday nights on a routine basis. That's what I pray. Why would I pray for anything less? And I'm telling you, and I'm, man, I'm not, we're, gonna, we're not going to get too far into my psyche because you might ask me to step down. But I'm telling you, I'm sitting there. People will tell me, and they say, man, there's never going to be. Well, by the way, people probably say this is too many people but here. But I'm telling you, some people will say, hey, hey, you're not going to get that many people on Saturday night. Then I drive by the mall, and I'm like, they get it. They get it. Is not this more valuable? Is this not more? And here's the thing. It's not really that crazy of an ideal. It's not be, to, to, to boldly pray for a thousand people, it's not that bold. Because honestly, if everyone here brought one person next week, we'd be at a thousand. It's really not that big of a deal. But, but, but I'm going to pray. Because we live in a city where there's lost people. Pray bold prayers. Pray bold prayers. Don't apologize for it. I don't apologize for it. People are like, oh, that's a crazy prayer, Travis. So what? You know, you know what? People are like, that's a lame prayer. And I'm saying, you know what's lame? To serve an infinite God and ask for crumbs from the table. That's my father up there who saved me. I say up there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's my God. He saved me. Hey, he saved me from an elephant, man. You're telling me 
that it's lame to pray that God would bring a thousand people here. It ain't lame. It's what my God does. I ask you to join me. I ask you to join me and pray. Pray for that. Pray. Once again, not for my glory, not for Silverdale's glory. For the glory of our Father, people will get saved. Real quick, verse 31, what's the result of this sick, crazy prayer? And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Man, I want to be a part of that. Finished praying and everything. Whoa, what's going on? Heaven came down. That's what's going on. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with what? Church, say it. Boldness. God granted them their prayer request. When God's people pray, it's a powerful thing. It brings heaven down. Somehow the age to come is manifested here. Church, it is my prayer that we would be a church that prays bold. That we would be a church that prays bold. That we would be a people that pray bold. Don't apologize. Don't apologize for praying for big things. I ain't talking about a bigger car. And I ain't talking about a bigger job. I'm talking about more people coming to faith. I want to be marked as a church that prays boldly. I love you guys. We'll get back into this next week. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.